Hey, this is Rick Roll from Every Mother's Nightmare, and you're listening to Digital Kill the Radio Star. How's that? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Digital Killed the Radio Star. This is David. I'm here with my buddy Chris, as uh, we normally are. We've had a uh, few weeks apart. Uh, Chris, are you in the Christmas spirit yet? Trying to get there. I mean, man, it's been a while since we've done this, or at least since I've done it. I know you've done a couple things, but I, I'm, I'm, you really need to walk me through this. I think I forgot what to do. <laughs> I think uh, it's like riding a bike. I think you'll, uh, I think you'll pick it back up. Uh, pretty pretty quick do you want to tell everybody before we get going follow us on twitter at digital killed on uh oh gosh uh, instagram digital killed the radio star subscribe via itunes or soundcloud uh, and uh listen to us i mean follow us on facebook if you get a chance drop us a review on facebook or on itunes uh, if you do it's f- and if it's five stars there's a good chance uh we might send you a little something in the mail so if you get a chance i uh, do that we would greatly uh appreciate it do want to say thank you to Chris Sinzak for uh, helping me out a couple of weeks ago from Decibel Geek. We had a, uh, a good podcast and uh, think we're going to have him on probably in the future again. Uh, also with uh, my current Chris that I'm talking about. I think uh, we may have come up with an episode or two while we were doing that podcast that would be of benefit to everybody. Chris, we're uh, wrapping up the year. I uh, want to let everybody know that we're going to do one more podcast next week, which will be our top albums of 2017, and then we're going to do like the rest of America and take the next couple of weeks off. But we uh, do have some uh, bigger and better things planned starting in uh, in January that uh, I know we're both really looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping to get a guy that um, that I'm just a huge fan of. And, you know, some people, you know, they may or may not know a lot about this guy but he's the the band that he's from everybody will know of and uh we've made contact and he seems interested in doing this which is just huge for me i mean it's gonna i'm gonna be like just don't don't know seventh seventh grade fanboy with this guy to to use your words i'm gonna turn into chris farley you know um about to say don't turn into chris farley on that one i think it's gonna happen i mean (laughs) i think it's inevitable you know so apologies in advance but yeah, hopefully I get some work out with him so we can do it at the beginning of the year. And um, that's not the only thing we have. We have some we have some other guests that I think will be really cool. So it's I think we're I think we're going to um, start getting more guests as we go along with this. So it's exciting. Well, Chris, um, I bought not bought yeah I bought an album a couple weeks ago that came out from uh, I know a guy that uh, from from Noel Gallagher. I know uh, you and I sometimes text some of his interviews back and forth. Uh, easily one of the most quotable people in rock and roll, even if you don't like his music. The Gallagher Brothers, period. They are like the best guys. I mean, well, they're the worst guys, but they're like Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. They say they say what you want to say, but you just don't do it. And um, that's what I love about those guys. Yeah, they are great. Well, I, I, you know, we've talked a couple of times on this podcast. I'm, I'm a huge Oasis fan. And uh, Noel's first, uh, well, I guess you call it his solo album. It's called technically, it's called Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. The first album he put out sounded really, really good. It was, uh, y- you know, it, it sounded a little bit like Oasis. His second album, Chasing Yesterday, came out and it was different. And it was 
one of my favorite albums of the last 10 years. So I was very excited when I heard that he had a new album coming out. But as I started reading interviews with him about the new album, I started getting a little hesitant because he's basically warning people that this isn't going to sound like anything he's ever done. It was going to be a little more electronic uh, and, you know, have some, um, you know, some different types of beats and things in it. So I was very, very uh, hesitant um, well, I was just a little nervous because he's never really put out anything I didn't like. So he, he did send out a message that I just asked people to listen to it with an open mind. And I think if you listen to it with an open mind, you will really, really like it. And I did that. And I'm so glad that I did because uh, it is a fantastic album. It's getting tremendous reviews. It was number one in England and a few other countries. Um, it's just really good. And it's different. It's not Oasis. But it works. And basically when he recorded the album, the producer, I think his name is David Holmes, and I think they recorded it in Belgium, he just told Gallagher, come to the studio, bring a new guitar, a new amp, and no songs. And they just sat and listened to records, very obscure records. And he was like, I want you to write a song that sounds like this, or try to write a song that sounds like this. And he said it about drove him insane, but anyway, he made it work. So... Uh, if anybody out there is an Oasis fan or a Noel Gallagher fan, I, I would highly, highly recommend this album. It's called Who Built the Moon? The the last song on there, it's on the deluxe edition. It's called uh, Dead in the Water. It's just him in a recording studio with an acoustic guitar and a guy on piano. It's probably the best song he's ever written. But, Chris, I was looking you know, through the liner notes because... Uh, you know, that's what we like to do. We like to get the physical product and look at it. And uh, your boy, uh, Johnny Marr, plays on a couple of songs. Yeah, not surprising. You know, I know how much he, he just loves the Beatles, the Smiths, the Stone Roses. So that's cool. Yeah. So anyway, if you're listening, uh, Who Built the Moon by Noel Gallagher and the High Flying Birds, get it. Listen to it with an open mind. If you're if you're like me and you're kind of more prone to listen to guitar-oriented music, just just give it an open mind, and, and I promise you uh, it will work and you will like it. Chris, what have you been listening to new lately? Well, let's stay on the other side of the pond, and one that I was, I'm a little bit late to the party on. I think most people probably have heard of this band. Maybe, maybe they haven't heard any of their music, but the band The Struts, they... Um, they put an album out. It was it was last year called Everybody Wants, and you know I started looking for this. Uh, actually, when I was looking for them, thinking that you know I need to give them uh, a chance. I I was going to try to find the new album. I didn't know if it was out yet, and it's not. And I think it's scheduled for an eighteen release. But the new album is going to have Butch Walker producing. So that just if you've listened to this, you know Butch Walker is one of my heroes. But. Yeah, again, UK band. I, I listened to their first record called Everybody Wants. Um, bought the album, and it has grown on me with each listen. It's uh, highly recommend checking these guys out. Um, I would say they're doing what what we want. You know, they're trying to keep they're keeping rock alive. It's a uh, you know, it's it's big chorus. It's a uh, it's just it's it's good straight up rock and roll um uk style check out the album um songs to check out if you if you're unsure you want to test them first look up on youtube itunes spotify whatever it is you listen to could have been me um she makes me feel like young stars 
only just a call away. I mean, these guys are really good, and as much as I love, as much as I love this record, I think I really think with Butch having his hands on on the next one, I really expect him to take the next step. And so I've, this one's grown on me, and I think the next one is going to be. I don't think it's going to be a sophomore slump. I, I just if Butch has his hands on it, I think it'll be better. The other one that I've been listening to. And these guys have absolutely blown me away. A band called The Biters. They put out a record this year. I think it was a few months ago. It's called The Future Ain't What It Used To Be. These guys are straight up rock and roll. And when I listen to these guys, I hear everything from hints of our our gateway drug, David, of that 80s glam type music to... And I know if you look, if you look, if you read any reviews about him, everybody's going to mention T Rex. I, you know, I really, honest to God, did not read a review saying comparing him to T Rex until I listened to it. And when I listened to the second and third song, "Stone Cold Love" and "Calling You Home," the immediate thing that rushed to my mind was T Rex. It sounds so much like it. So it's kind of that seventies, uh, just. 70s glam rock, you know, with T-Rex, Bowie, whatever, it has that sound, but so many other songs, like I said, almost takes you back to that 80s 80s hair metal, you know, especially their ballads, Hollywood, going back, to, uh, going back to Georgia, and they are a Georgia band, but check out those songs, uh, Don't Turn This, Don't Turn This Good Heart Bad, No Stranger to Heartache, this is one of my favorite bands I've heard in the last year or two. Um, I cannot wait to hear more from these guys. If you like old school classic rock and roll, the Biters is the way to go. Yeah, like I, just, I like I was telling you, I've got the album, and I can't get past the Noel Gallagher album really to listen to it. The the times I have listened to it, I really like it. Yeah, and T Rex definitely came to mind really quick. Yeah, it's mainly that second and third song. There's elements of, the, of it in other songs. But when you listen to songs like, you know, um, Don't Turn This Good Heart Bad and No Stranger to Heartache, they don't sound like T-Rex. I mean, it, Hollywood, going back to Georgia, they do not sound like T-Rex. Number two, number three, so much like T-Rex, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, everybody knows T-Rex, classic, classic music. Um, check this band out. If you've been looking for kind of a rebirth of rock, go with the Biters. Yeah, I like it a lot, uh, what I've heard anyway, and if I can ever get past Noel Gallagher, I'm going to listen to it a lot. So When you do, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it even more once uh, Noel kind of wears off, which it'll happen eventually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's go to the Biters. Um, so uh, Chris actually came up with the um, theme for um, this um, podcast that we're going to do, which I think is uh, it's an interesting one. Basically, we're just going to talk about people – that uh, we, if we could bring them back from the dead to record an album, uh, people we'd like to do that, and uh, and kind of why, uh, which I think uh, I don't think I've heard of anybody do this on a podcast yet. So this may be a uh, an, an original for us. Well, that's that's cool. I, I mean, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't really listen to that much, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. This is an original thought. Yeah. So. Um, we're going to uh, just. Chris has got a list. I've got a list. We're just going to talk a little bit about them and uh, and roll on with that. So, Chris, you want to lead us off? 
Yeah, sure. And you know, and I told I told David when we started doing this, it's um no right or wrong answer. How you wanted to put your list together. For me, though, I wanted it to be my list had to be people that could still realistically, even though they may be old as dirt, they could realistically still be alive. You know, I don't want to put anybody on this list that would be 108 years old. So it had to be that they could still be alive and people that I thought went too soon. You know, for example, yes, I would love to have Johnny Cash back. A recent one, a recent passing we had, Tom Petty. I'd love to have Tom Petty back. But they had full careers in my in, in from my viewpoint, they had full careers. So I wanted to really kind of focus on the guys who did not. And so the first guy I'm going to go with was uh, the great Thin Lizzy frontman, Phil Lynott. You know, this guy was, he was only 36 years old when he died. I, uh, I did a little bit of research on every one of these guys just to see. This guy passed in, it was January 4th, 1986. He, um, he put out a lot of material in his limited time, so I will, I will say that. He put out a couple of solo albums you know, as far as studio. There's some other stuff you can find, but studio albums, put out two of them, 12 Thin Lizzy albums, and um, this guy just unfortunately had um, he had his demons, his demons with substance. He was, uh, he, was, he was very dependent on heroin, and... I can still think back to the behind the music I watched with uh, with him. You know, he was. Uh, I remember they they put him into the hospital, and you know he was he didn't have tracks on his arms because he was trying to keep it from his mom. And I remember seeing on the behind the music, his mom lifted up the sheets in the hospital, and she saw tracks all on his feet. Look for the he was he was injecting himself in the in the veins of his feet just because he didn't want his mom to know that he was doing heroin. And uh, ultimately, this guy died of pneumonia and heart failure. And this is, he just almost, I mean, as much as anybody, this is a guy that I wish I'd have stayed around. I think he was a poet. I think he put together one of the greatest bands of all time. This band, uh, you know, I hope we, we eventually do a, a we, Dave and I have talked about putting something together with, with Chris Sinzak from Decibel Geeks about Thin Lizzy. I think that they, um, I mean, really with the, the dual guitars, two leads, having two lead players, I think they, they were really the originators on that. I think they, I think they're kind of the ones that created that. And, uh, yeah, I wish Phil was still around. So that's, uh, I mean, he's one of my top ones. And so I just want to start with him. Yeah. I, I got a, I got a feeling there's going to be a recurring theme on, on cause of death on a lot of these. I um, agree that uh that's just all too unfortunate yeah you know he is just so well respected and uh thin lizzie they're they're to me they're kind of like acdc in that there's a lot of people that like thin lizzie that you wouldn't think would like something that kind of hard and heavy uh yeah. that that do they they have a uh you know a huge uh a huge following and i know like in his hometown you know they have a statue to him and everything and he sounded like he was just a neat person to know yeah and I've got it. Maybe we'll even post it I, I, if I can find it. I've got a picture at that statue you're talking about in Dublin. Um, super, super. Cool. And, and to your point too, I know that there, there's a lot of there's a lot of hardcore metal guys, even though they weren't like they were they were hard rock. A lot of hardcore metal guys really, really look up to this band. You know, uh, I know that that uh, Hetfield and Hammett have said that they were kind of the influence on them with that um, 
because I know I know everybody knows Hetfield's more of a rhythm player, but he still does leads, and that that's a really I mean they are a really good tight you know dual guitar band, and they said that then Lizzie you know they they get the credit for that that dual guitar band that that, that Metallica is. Yeah, and you. Dave Mustaine, Megadeth covered uh, "Cold Sweat." It's a, it's a, that is a, an amazing cover that they did. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really cool song too. I mean, that that's that's towards the end of Thin Lizzy, and I mean, it's definitely a heavier sound. And uh, anybody that's that's listening to this, if you're just you listen to us for you know for whatever reason, you just think we don't suck that bad, and you, you continue to listen to us, but you don't really know Thin Lizzy. You may know the boy, the, the boys are back in town, and think, oh, I don't really like them. I will tell you, I'm not a big fan of that song either. But that that's a terrible sample of uh, Thin Lizzy. It's not a horrible song. It's just a terrible sample of a band that was that great, you know, because that's the, that's one of the last songs I'd pick for somebody to introduce them to Thin Lizzy. I would have to agree with you on that, uh, Chris. Well, my, my first pick is going to be someone that's not as well known, but uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Um I'm going to go with Jay Bennett from Wilco. Yeah, I considered him. So, uh, Wilco, their first album, AM, did not have him on it. But their second and third album, um, being there in Summer Teeth, Jay Bennett was a multi-instrumentalist uh, on, the album, on both those albums and played a huge role in uh, writing and uh, arranging those two albums, and to some extent, he had a hand in Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, but he was uh, fired from the band during the recording of that. He died several years ago. He had some uh, some really bad, I think, back issues, and he died of an accidental overdose of uh, fentanyl, uh, which is a uh, a medication normally delivered through a patch. It's, uh, very strong, a lot more potent than, than morphine. Uh, same thing that Prince died from. So his was an accidental overdose, but Jay gave that band a certain almost type of swagger, kind of a loose barroom feel that is sorely missed in that band. They recently re uh, issued the Being There album with a live concert from the Troubadour in LA around that time. And Jay Bennett just added so much to the band. I, if he could come back and, you know, maybe take Nels, Nels, Nels Klein's place um, in the band, I think it would just be interesting, just just for one album, just to hear what he could possibly uh, possibly bring back to that band that I, that I personally think is missing. I agree. I mean, things really changed after he left the band. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've I've said before, I think they're their best record is summer teeth and uh you know and, and and then of course the one that that really always gets all the praise you know that everybody always wants to bring up is yankee hotel foxtrot and you know he was instrumental in that and if and if you don't know if you don't realize just how instrumental he is what, what's the documentary david the uh, i'm trying to break your heart is that it yeah the documentary what's that i mean he had such a such control really in the band that Tweety you could tell just hated and it, it wasn't there to, if I'm not mistaken there's that one scene where Tweety's basically vomiting in the bathroom right because he's so stressed out and it's just Jay, I mean Jay Bennett may have wore on his nerves but he elevated the band and 
in my opinion, they weren't as good before, and they certainly haven't been as good since. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he, I he brought out their best years. Yeah, he just uh, an amazing talent gone too soon. Yeah, agreed. Well, my my next one I'm going to go with is um, somebody, when you talk about being gone too soon, and, and this is one that doesn't have anything to do with substance, but Randy Rhodes. Yeah, this guy was, he died in, I got March 19th, March 19th, 1982. He was only 25 years old. Randy Rhodes was, you know, I, when I think of guitarists, I think, you know, right at the, you know, the, the importance of guitar, the evolution of guitar, it all starts with Hendrix. After that, it's, everybody always goes to Eddie Van Halen, and rightfully so. But right around the same time, playing those same clubs with Eddie was Randy Rhodes. And um, I think, as far as kind of in the modern era, I think after after Eddie, it's Randy. And this guy was, you know, he was most, anybody listening to this probably knows that he played with Quiet Riot. This was before they ever had the record deal, at least in the record deal in the U.S. He, uh, he played on a couple of Quiet Riot releases that were in Japan, and then... Years later, uh, it was 1993, Quiet Riot released the Randy Rhodes Years, which I highly recommend. I don't know if that's still in print or not. If, if you can find it, listen to it. You can probably at least find it on one of the streaming albums. You, and you can hear the um, the beginnings of D, which was on you know the uh, Blizzard of Oz record with Ozzy. But um, he only recorded you know Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman with Ozzy, and it was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guitar work. And, um, you know, this guy was, you know, he was one of the good guys from everything I hear. You know, he, he, the guy barely drank. You know, when Ozzy was doing Ozzy things, going out and getting loaded with the band when they were recording, Randy was just sitting in his room practicing. Um, he didn't really live the rock and roll lifestyle by all accounts. He, um, and the word is he wanted to be a, a classical musician. He, uh, well, he was a classical musician, but he wanted he didn't want to keep doing the rock stuff very long, and he wanted to uh, record a classical record. And that's something, when I think about what could have been, that's something I would have really liked to have heard. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Randy was, um, he was a tour bus driver who was, um, you know, and, and a tour bus, tour bus driver and pilot, Andrew Acott, they, uh, they took just this, this single engine aircraft and went on a, a little um, plane ride and they were trying to buzz the uh, tour bus, clipped it, and uh, went down and you know, everybody lost their lives, including Randy and I wish he was still here. Chris, I had him on my list too and uh, I'll echo everything that you said. I think there's a chance, had he stayed alive, that he may have eclipsed Eddie Van Halen. You know, who knows? You know, I... I um. I think Eddie brought something different as in the, um, you know, using using eight fingers on the fretboard. You know, Randy wasn't really doing that. But I think in the studio, Randy was doing things that were completely different. And Randy was bringing, I think Randy was a little bit, maybe maybe a little bit more of a technician than Eddie. Um, I, mean, the, I mean, you can't go wrong with either player. I mean, they were just, and, and they were, and, and that's, cool thing too those guys were really kind of competing hashing it out and you know back in LA before 
before really kind of that whole hair metal, all that kind of stuff took off, which um, precursor to a, a podcast we have, have coming soon about kind of building up that metal and escaping the um, the crap that was disco. But, right. um, yeah, great, great, great player. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, I think had he stayed alive, there was a chance he may have, you know, he may have fallen behind Eddie Van Halen. But one of those things that um, that we'll never know. Well, uh, I had him on my list as well, so uh, scratch him off. The other person I'm going to talk about is a very obvious one. Uh, that's Prince, uh, who died a couple years ago uh, from uh, what appeared to be a fentanyl overdose, which is the same thing I think Jay Bennett supposedly uh, died from. The reason I wanted to uh, talk about him is I think he had another guitar-oriented album in him. Uh, in the early 80s, of course, with the uh, 1999 album and uh, Purple Rain, um, you know, pretty much rock records for the for the most part. And and toward the end, he uh, he kind of he was very prolific, and he put out a couple of albums that uh, definitely had a lot more guitar in them than some of his. Uh, uh, albums since uh purple rain and i just feel like um i feel like he had another rock record in him you know if when he if you remember correctly when he performed at halftime of the super bowl he performed uh foo fighters best of me it just sounded so good and i know the the clip of him playing at the uh rock and roll hall of fame just went viral after he died but it's it's clearly evident when you're on stage with jeff lynn tom petty steve winwood um, you had uh, Petty's drummer. Uh, gosh, what's his name, Chris? Is it Steve Ferroni? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, you had kind of a who's who of, of musicians up there, and once he hits that guitar solo, they're all just watching him in awe. And you forget, I mean, Steve Winwood's on you know on key, on keyboard, and Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne, uh, and they were clearly upstage that night, and. He just a, was a phenomenal guitar player, and I, I just think I think he had one more guitar-oriented album in him, and uh, I would have really, uh, really enjoyed, you know, really enjoyed hearing that. But that's maybe there's something in the vault. You know, I keep reading that he just has so much material. Maybe he's got you know an album's worth of uh, guitar-oriented tracks on there. I think that would be uh, extremely interesting to listen to. Yeah, it would be. And you know, the thing is, I think that when you talk about the the, the playing that he had. And I think that's something that sadly most people, at least average music listeners don't realize the musician that he was. And I know we've talked about this before. We talked about this earlier, earlier in the year after his passing. Um, you know, I think people just don't realize what a player he was and not, you know, not just guitar, everything. I mean, the musician that he was, um, I wish he had have done a more in his career at some point more of a straight up rock and roll record. I don't because he, he never did do that. You know he he did Prince records, you know, not necessarily rock, not necessarily R and B. He did Prince records, which is cool. But I would have loved to have heard him do a true rock and roll record. I think he could have made a great. I do too. I do too. But sadly, we'll never know. Yeah. Well, the next one I've got is. You know, one of the, if not the most obvious, but it, I, I have to put him on here. And, um, you know, we just had the anniversary of his death just a couple of days ago, but John Lennon, December 8th, 1980, 
guy passed at 40 years old. And um, Mark David Chapman, dude, you should have been executed that day. Um, this John Lennon was just a genius. I think he was one of the most brilliant songwriters that's ever lived. Uh, lyrically, musically, everything about him. And I know the stuff he did, you know, past, I really, I'd say his first two records are really, really good. And after that, things, I'd say slipped a little bit, but it just makes you wonder, you know, when you, when you see, I mean, not every band gets back together. We're, we're, we're still hoping, and I don't think it's going to happen, but we keep hoping for a Zeppelin reunion. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But it makes you wonder what these guys have ever formed, reformed, reunited, maybe gone on a tour, you know, before, of course, we just we lost George Harrison, too, not too long ago. But maybe, who knows, maybe the late 90s, they would have done a, a 50-date you know, reunion tour. Um, just would have been cool to see what would have happened, to see if he would have ever got back with, with Lennon, I mean, with McCartney, you know, with Ringo, with Harrison. It would have been cool to see. Um, and it's just, I mean, it, you can't get a whole lot more tragic either than somebody just a nutcase murdering him. Well, if they, if he had lived and they'd gotten back together, it would make this Guns N' Roses tour look like a club tour. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> yeah, it would be like, no offense, it would be like Winger getting back together. Right. You know? I mean, right. just, so, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's sad. Like, I mean, it, it's sad when somebody dies because of the demons, with their, their substance and all, but my God, when somebody dies because a nutcase goes and shoots them, you know, that's, that's just awful. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but some of his solo stuff is really good. Um, I think about the song uh, where he's like, you know, I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go around. I, I love that one song. His, one of my favorite songs by him. Yeah, just a, a great song. Uh, side note, uh, this just came to my mind. You were talking about George Harrison. Uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time. Do you remember uh, when George Harrison's house was broken into and the guy started stabbing him and his wife? I remember that story, yeah. Yeah, and so his wife jumps up and I think hits him with like a uh, uh, a lamp or something, you know, to get him off of George Harrison. So, you know, George Harrison had a kind of funny sense of humor. And so they're, they're interviewing him afterwards and they're like, George, what was the guy doing in there? And he goes, he went there trying out for the traveling Wilburys, that's for sure. <laughs> I know that's one of my favorite quotes of all time, but yeah, back to back to Lennon. Yeah, it's uh, it would have been interesting to see what he could do because his his solo stuff was different from the Beatles, and and quite frankly, uh, I, some of it, I you know, I definitely like more than the Beatles. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a weird songs. Just kind of inconsistent albums after the first two, right? Just a weird kind of a weird and sad way. Uh, to go, uh, you know, there's a famous clip. I think that happened. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> uh, on Monday Night Football, they broke into it, and you know, I think uh, yeah, Howard Cosell and those guys announced that you know John Lennon had died, and uh, you know, I can't really think of anybody today that would elicit that type of response. I mean, if you think like the the coverage when Prince died was huge, which that was completely warranted, you know, very well. That it that would dwarf compared to you know Lennon dying. There isn't because you could say McCartney, it, but here's the thing: Lennon was huge then, and 
And McCartney will always be, always will be one of the greats. Right. Lennon was still kind of in his prime. You know, if, if Lennon got shot, if Lennon had a lift, which I wish, of course, he had a, but if he had a lift and he got shot last night, it it wouldn't have interrupted the Army-Navy game. Right. You know, I just don't think it would have. It was just something, I, I mean, I, 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 he's one of the biggest of all time. And, yeah. Uh, but you're right. It, it wouldn't. It would, I don't think you would see Monday Night Football get interrupted for a musician. Well, and you got to also remember, for that generation – I mean, he's the one. He was the the one that started the whole movement. Yeah, you know. So you had everybody that had basically listened to music for the last, you know, eighteen, nineteen years, and he was kind of he was at the forefront of all that. So it that was a huge deal, even if you weren't even a music fan. Right. All right. So my next one. Let's stay across the pond, uh, Chris. Uh, I'm going to go with an obvious one, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, uh, died, uh, I think he asphyxiated from drinking uh, a bunch of shots of vodka. And, you know, that's the reason Led Zeppelin broke up. They broke up the, essentially that day. They said there's not going to be a Led Zeppelin without John Bonham. One of the reasons I think it'd be fascinating if, if he could come back um, and record an album uh, is his drum sound. When they recorded so many of those albums, especially things like uh, When the Levee Breaks, you know, they. I think they put him in like a hallway, uh, you know, of a house to, to kind of get that sound. I think it would be very interesting to hear what he would sound like now with better recording uh, techniques. But also, I think the band they for sure would have stayed around a while. It would be interesting to see how they would have navigated the '80s because I'm not going to talk about the Coda album because that's not really a studio album, but. Uh, in through the outdoor, uh, definitely uh, did not sound like earlier Led Zeppelin, which I, I really not a big fan of that album anyway. It'd been interesting to see how they navigated the '80s, but had they uh, stayed together or around today, I, I, I would it would be really interesting to hear how their sound would possibly evolve. You know, that's something I haven't really given a whole lot of thought, and um, I think you bring up a really good thought question. And to answer it, I think they probably would have done, like, Ozzy, going from Sabbath to solo Ozzy. You know, White Snake, you know, with David Coverdale, you know, of course, Deep Purple, and uh, into, um, you know, White Snake and White Snake transitioning, um, Alice Cooper. My point is, I think they would have, you know, because the last stuff they did was, what, around 80? Was that the last album that came out, I want to say? Yeah, yeah, well, I think In Through the Outdoor was like 79, maybe. Okay, so so 79. So they're just a few years away. And I think you would have seen that they would have probably gone more into that, you know, a little bit more, developed a little bit more of a hair metal sound. I think it's inevitable. You know, it's just, it's it's what happened. It's what they had to do to stay relevant. So we'll be curious to see what, and I, I mean, the, the guys would have been able to pull it off. I mean, there's no doubt, especially with, with uh with pages playing, you know, Robert Plant's vocals, they would have been able to pull that off. Um, but I think that the best point you brought up, which I completely agree with is, you know, they always said they weren't going to go on without any of the original members and they stuck to it. And though guys like us would love to be able to go see Jimmy page, Robert Plant, John Paul, John Paul Jones, and put, 
Yeah, Jason Bonham, John Bonham's son, behind the kit. We would love to see that. You got to respect that they closed the door when one of their brothers died. I mean, yeah. you have to respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It would be uh, it'd be great to hear that. And uh, one of the, I'd say one of the top five drummers of rock and roll ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Well, I'm going to stay on the same date of my previous ones of December eighth, and I'm going to go with Don Bagdero of Pantera. And you know, I'm not the most massive Pantera fan, though I really do like them. This is a band that I also think that. Whereas the Beatles, would they have gotten back together? I don't know. I think they would have at least done some one-off shows. I think Pantera would have gotten back together. I really do believe that. I think that um, I think that Phil is uh, Phil Anselmo is. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be the the most. He's never going to be a uh, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, well, he's just never. What I was going to say, he's never going to be a role model for how to live your life. He's just not going to be. But is he having the same issues he had back then? As far as I know, he is not. And I think that would have been able to get the band back together. I mean, having a, a more sober feel. And uh, it just makes me wonder, what, what could this band have done? Because that's a band that, let's, let's keep in mind, Pantera, they were going strong when that... 90s music was still the 80s hair bands were I mean they were still they were on their last leg but you still had bands like Warrant and Poison and new bands like Slaughter all those bands coming out and Pantera was just blowing up and then they 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 sustained that all the way until they broke up and I think that that's a band that could have you know they they broke up you know Dimebag, Vinnie Paul, his brother on drums, they wouldn't form Damage Plan. And I think if they had have got back together, I think they would. I, I just think they probably would have. I think Tom would have healed all wounds. And they probably would have got back together. And I don't think they would have skipped a beat. And um, anybody listening to this, they, they probably already know. Dimebag, I mean, it's crazy. He died on December 8th, just like John Lennon died on December 8th. John Lennon was gunned down by a nutcase. Don Bag was gunned down by nutcase, and um, even more tragic, Don Bag was gunned down in front of his brother, in front of his fans, and on video. Um, yeah, just sickening, sickening from some freaking lunatic. But um, anyway, I I just would have liked to see him stay around, just obviously just to be alive. Period. But just to um, to see what could have happened with Pantera. I think I think you're right. I think if he if he doesn't get killed, they get back together and I wouldn't put them as far as like their ability to sell out things like Metallica, but I would no. put I would put them at like 75% of Metallica. Yeah, well, if they, if they had waited enough time, you know, and say they came back in let's just say 2015. We'll just throw a date out. It would have been a big draw. They could have. I mean, they could have easily done arenas like the FedEx Forum or, you know, yeah. th- things of that nature. I don't think that would have been a problem. Yeah, I was actually uh, I was at a Christmas party last night. I was talking to my buddy Chipper, and uh, he's a huge uh, Pantera fan. And we were just talking about Dime, and yeah, and it seems like he was one of the good guys. Uh, you don't yeah. you don't hear people you don't hear people running him down. And, and also, one of the things is he was just a fan. 
You know, I mean, he yeah, geeked well, out he over it. Yeah, and didn't 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 he have an, uh, a guitar that Eddie Van Halen gave him in the casket as well? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, he he I forgot about that one. He 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 just he was like us, man. He just happened to be talented. Uh, he he was a huge fan. Yeah, he that's was, he was us with talent. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be a great album. Us with ta- us with talent. <laughs> a, a good album title. Well, I'm going to uh, stay with. Um, uh, someone who who lived a pretty full life, but none, nonetheless, uh, I wish was still around, and that's Rick Wright, who's the was the keyboard player uh, and piano player for uh, Pink Floyd, and uh, I'm a I'm a pretty big Pink Floyd fan, and Rick Wright died several years ago from cancer, and you know he was just a true English gentleman, uh, you know obviously uh, he didn't get in the middle really of the David Gilmore Roger Waters public spats that have been going on forever but if i had to compare him to somebody he was basically pink floyd's version of izzy stradlin in that he didn't get all the press but if you talk to anybody that had anything to do with them they say he was really instrumental in the sound of pink floyd uh much like uh john paul jones uh you know doesn't i don't think gets enough credit for you know his ability to arrange music and and the band but uh, one of the reasons I wish he was still around is I think I think they would get back together for a tour uh, because uh, Gilmore said when he died, he said there's no hope ever for a reunion anymore because Rick Wright is dead and Rick Wright was Pink Floyd. But uh, that wouldn't uh, a, a, a full-fledged Pink Floyd reunion with Roger Waters uh, would be on up there with uh, it would be Guns N' Roses level for sure, especially uh, all around the world. But uh, nonetheless, uh, he was the Izzy Stradlin of Pink Floyd and was responsible for a lot of uh, what they did. But uh, sadly, I don't see uh, David Gilmore and Roger Waters going out on tour anytime soon. Do you think he could have helped mend the fence between the two? Yeah, I do a little bit. Now, you know, he was technically fired from Pink Floyd, and I think it was mainly by Roger Waters when – they were recording the wall. He was no longer an official member, but he toured with them. Uh, but he, he just, by all accounts, was just a super nice guy. And uh, the, I, I think uh, I think the money that would be thrown at them, they would eventually give you know give into it. Now Gilmore and Waters are definitely you know they've uh, they've appeared. Gilmore played at a show uh, performance of the wall in London. And then Roger Waters had a, uh, or Gilmore had a charity event, and Waters came and played played it with him. I don't think they're going to be best friends anytime soon. But I think, like a lot of things, they've gotten older and realized, you know, hey, some of the stuff we were fighting about was probably a little bit petty. And uh, anyway, but Gilmore has said there's no chance for a reunion without Rick Wright. So uh, they left a lot of money on the table. But nonetheless, uh, Rick Wright was uh, an amazing musician. Okay. Well, my my next one is one that we, I think the last time you and I were, we did one of these podcasts together, we talked about Seattle, and um, I'm going to go with Andrew Wood. This guy was um, 1990, he overdosed, heroin overdosed, he was only 24 years old. Yeah, this was the, the front man for Mother Love Bone, they only put out one studio album, they put out an EP. And um, I said it then. I'll say it. I'll say it again. Had uh, had he lived, there would be 
there would be no no Pearl Jam, you know, for better or worse, there wouldn't be one. And uh, I just think this guy was so, so gifted. I think he was a guy that seemed to command the stage. I think he was good lyrically. I think he was a true rock star, just like Chris Cornell said. Chris Cornell said Andy Wood was the, the only rock star I ever knew. And um, I think they were destined for, for big things. You know, they when Apple, their full length, you know, it came out after his death. And they already had this big, you know, the label already had this big um, tour lined up. And the album was receiving positive reviews. I think they were just about to blow that door open. And, um, like, I, I, I read this, too, where a, a writer for the New York Times said that, that Apple, their debut album, said it may be one of the first great hard rock records of the 90s. And, the, and he also went on to say that Andrew Wood could have been the first big league Seattle, one of the, at least been the first of the big league Seattle rock stars. And, um, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. We talked about this. I, I don't know... That they, you know, I don't think they would have released, released Nirvana Stardom, but I think they would have been big enough to where they would have been sustained, and there would not have been a Pearl Jam. And I don't know. I, I, that is one guy that just, I mean, my God, one full length album. That's all we got out of him. And I, um, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. I think they could be bigger than Nirvana, and I tell you why. Uh, they were the perfect hybrid. That like we've talked about on that podcast between what you think of as glam rock and and grunge, I think probably what would have happened was they would have been a little bit like Alice in Chains in that they got their foot in the door kind of before everybody else on the national level, and right. people would have uh, been somewhat familiar with them, and then I think Nirvana would have blown the scene up, and then that would have caused other people that normally wouldn't have given that music a try. Uh, listen to it and I think it would have I think it would have sustained them to a point to where their appeal would have been so broad that they would they would eventually outdone Nirvana uh, that's just my opinion but I, I, I think it was I don't think it's unrealistic to say they had a shot at being bigger than Nirvana you might be right I don't know but yeah I mean that's just I mean my god that is one I mean, on my list of people I'm naming, he he is he ranks at the top of one of the guys that I really wish was around because I've said before, my favorite band out of Seattle, and it, it, it's hard to put them as one of my favorite bands because they only put out one record, but I think with a couple more, they probably would have ranked up there as one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I mean, they they were, since we did that grunge podcast, I've listened to them more and more, and if you're wondering... Uh, the opening music to this week's podcast was a Mother Love Bone song. So uh, I would definitely go out and buy that Apple album and uh, and give it a listen. I, I think it still holds up well today, and that was, what, 1990? 1990, yeah. And if, if you're interested in getting more stuff by that Mother Love Bone, they just put out something that's um, several discs. It, you know, it's got just a whole collection of material. You've also got the Andy Wood story. That our Andrew Wood story that has the DVD has um, the Malfunction record, which is the band he did with his brother before Mother Love Bone. They just they weren't signed to a big label, but um, anyway, I mean, gifted, gifted, gifted guy. That my God, I wish, um, like I said, I really wish he was here. Let's stay in Seattle, why don't we? Uh, Lane sure. Lane Staley, Allison Change, you know, very 
fam- list too. very famous, uh, famously for his heroin addiction. And man, uh, talk about a guy that had a set of pipes on him, but also uh, knew how to uh, deliver uh, emotion. I say it, I say it again numerous times. That Dirt album to me is just perfect. It's depressing now to listen to because of what uh, he went through, but that that is an album where somebody is basically telling you about their life, and man, it was not pretty. But gone way, way too soon. By all accounts, a really nice guy. When I was we were I was reading uh, the Grunge is Dead book when we were doing our Grunge podcast. Just everybody just says how oh, he was just like a child, like in a good way. Just a sweet, uh, a sweet person, and I mean, there, his addiction just—it just, man, it just derailed them. That Jar of Flies album was huge. It debuted at number one. No excuses was on it, and that was something they basically put together because they didn't feel that Staley was in good enough shape for them, you know, to really do an album then. And their third album called Trop, well, it's technically it's just called Alice in Change. People refer to it as the Tripod album was very dark as well but they didn't they they did not tour a lot for that album and so his his drug addiction prevented them from doing a lot of touring and i think their last show was them opening for kiss in kansas city um you know and, and i don't think he uh lane was just in bad shape but just an amazing singer that unplugged album is one of the best uh, unplugged albums that uh, there's out there. But one of the reasons I would like to hear him now is I feel like, uh, you know, the rest of the band seems to all be in a good place with their uh, past problems. And if he could have somehow kicked that heroin problem, uh, it it would be amazing to hear what he could do with a clear head. And especially Jerry Cantrell's songwriting has evolved so much. I've talked about that Degradation Trip album, his solo album, Volumes 1 and 2. It's so good. But his songwriting has evolved. And uh, when you got Cantrell's voice and Staley together, uh, man, they could could really deliver on the vocals, but just gone way too young. I agree. And and if you... And we'll say it again. We said it when we did our glam record that that um, David, who wrote that book, the glam, the uh, grunge book. Uh, is it props? is it Greg? Uh, is it Plato or Prato? Prado. Yeah. yeah, I think it's Prado. Is it P R A T O? I think. Yeah. Um, it's called Grunge Rock. Is it Grunge Rock is dead? It sounds like what it's called. It's either that or Grunge is dead. Grunge is dead. Anyway, look up the book. Um, and if you want to read, I mean, it, it's painful reading about Lane Staley. I mean, this guy was, he didn't want to be a donkey. And he could, he just couldn't help it. And towards the end, I mean, it, it is some of the darkest stuff you'll ever read as far as in that book when he was at his end. And, um, you know, I've, I've got notes right in front of me that said when, you know, when he was found, he was, uh, I mean, the guy was six feet tall and he weighed about 86 pounds. Um, his, his body was partially decomposed. They, and I, we've all heard this, this, we've pretty much all heard the stories that he was even missing fingers. I mean, the guy was about as messed up as anybody could ever be messed up on drugs. But let's not talk about the bad. Let's talk about what you said about how people really liked him and thought so much of him. I have this quote here from uh, Mark Lanigan, who was from the Screaming Trees. He um, he said that he he spoke with Lane Saley a few months before his death, and uh, he said. I couldn't have been more sad. He said, I hope this day would never come. He was such a lovely guy, like a brother to me. 
he was just a very smart, very funny, very mischievous guy. So hanging out with, with so anytime hanging out with him, there was always a lot of laughter, regardless of what was going on. He was on a different plane, man. His concerns weren't so much about this world. He was one of a kind. Yeah. So, yeah. So sad. So sad. Um, it yeah. is. What really and truly what could have been. I, I definitely think they could have maintained their success um, for a long period of time, but we'll never know. Yeah, and I'm, you know, now that we're we're on this, you know, we, let's just go ahead and wrap up this. We won't spend too much time on this because everybody knows the story. We're going to spend so much, but I do have to mention Kurt Cobain. I mean, this guy, member of the Twenty Seven Club. You know, he, uh, the guy, only put out three records. That's it. Think about the impact this man had with three studio albums. Um. And I'm I'm one who has uh, it's kind of weird, you know, because you think with all that angst that was in that music, you um, maybe move away from that as you get older. I've grown to love his music more as I've gotten older. And there's another guy that is just like, what could have been? Only 27 years old, only three studio albums, and um, another guy that just was so caught up in addiction, depression. Um, it just would have been cool to see what he would have done. You know, I agree with you. And I wonder if with his the level of success that they had and the amount of money they had coming in, at some point would he have, quote-unquote, sold out? Um, I don't know. You know, it, it. I think it would have been very interesting to see what that next record would have sounded like. He might would have, who knows? But Jimmy, you gotta think that he the Nevermind blew up and was so huge, but it's a polished record and, and I'm not I'm not knocking it. I, I love it. And I know some people will say they like they like in utero better because it was wrong. I, I don't. I like Nevermind better, but regardless they made the polished record and what did they do? They stepped back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if he would have sold out. He, he might would have, but at least in the time while he was here, he didn't. Chris, let's stay in Seattle and let's stay a member. <laughs> There's a lot of this. Let's stay in the in the 27 Club, Mr. James Marshall Hendricks, otherwise known as Jimi Hendrix, uh, died uh, kind of the way uh, John Bonham did, I think, from asphyxiation, from drinking too much alcohol. If I'm wrong on that, people send me a message and correct me on it. Uh I would, I would say my reason for wanting to bring him back to do an album. What could he? I got, I, I got here. What could he actually do if he had good equipment? Because he was the one that basically brought distortion in, and I mean, it wasn't like the amps and and everything were geared toward that. I mean, he had to manipulate them to get that. What could he do? Let's say if he had at his disposal what Eddie Van Halen has right now. Yeah, well, not not just uh, not just equipment, but the recording studio. Period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because what he did in such a short amount of time, he was really only popular for about three years, and the stuff that he put out is it's uh, it's timeless. You know, people still listen to it. And I went to see the uh, Experience Hendrix concert here uh, about seven or eight months ago. And it, it was interesting because you had 
Brad Woodford from Aerosmith, Zach Wilde was there, Dweezil Zappa. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, so apologies, but he's the guitar player in uh, Los Lobos. And then like Johnny Lang. And then you had uh, a female there that did kind of more soulful stuff that he did. His stuff wasn't strictly rock and roll. It had elements of blues and, and soul in it. And um, be very, it would be very interesting to see what he could do now, like you said, with, with better equipment and better recording techniques. And three records. That's all he put yeah. out. Three records. People probably think he put out this, this enormous catalog. He did not. Three records. Now, you can probably find 20 Hendrix records. He only recorded three studio albums and a live album. You know, so just think about what was left to come of him. And, and kind of like what we were talking about, what would have happened to Zeppelin as, as music progressed, music changed, what would have happened to Hendrix? Because, I mean, he's the late 60s. He had all the 70s. Then, you know, getting into the 80s, you know, just think about this. By 1980, he would have been 37 in 1980. Right. 1990, 47 years old. 1990, when you and I are in the prime of our music listening experience, he would have been 47. Right. Think of how many guys we love today that are 47. Right. Are in those the 40s to early 50s. Um, there was just a lot of stuff he could have done. Yeah, it, it it there really is, and like I said, it, I just I think it would still be just mind bending. I agree. Well, I'm gonna go with more. Might surprise you to bring this, this name up, but once you once you think about it, you'll say, "Wow!" I, I, I think you're gonna say, "Wow!" I I, I get that, you know. I don't, but it, the person I'm gonna bring up is uh, Buddy Holly. Um, Buddy Holly. A lot of people don't realize. He was 22 years old. You think about how young he was into his career, and people can challenge me, and that's fine. But I think of guys like Elvis. You got to you got to throw in guys like Chuck Berry, but then you also got to put in Buddy Holly. And I think that he put just. I think he just wrote such timeless songs, in such a short short period of time it just makes me wonder again what could have been you know and you think about all the people he influenced i mean everything everybody from the beatles to the stones to eric clapton um i just think that this guy had a very very bright future and i mean everybody knows the story about the plane crash but uh i, I just i think it would have been fascinating to see what would have happened with buddy holly I agree with you, Chris. I, it would not be off. It would not be crazy to say he could have possibly been bigger than Elvis. I think he'd have at least been on the map. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. And um, you know, just to just to think about that, you know, that you know, all that happened, and basically, what is it? Isn't it kind of like a almost like flipping a coin? I think as far as who got to take the plane. What, and, was it um, like him and Waylon Jennings? Not Waylon Jennings. Um, Waylon Jennings played in his band. Yeah. It was uh, Richie, Richie Valens was yeah. on the plane. Uh, Big Bopper was on the plane. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that, hey, that's what's referred to as the day the music died. But of those guys, none of them weren't anywhere near close to as important as Buddy Holly. And you again, know, 22 years old. Yeah, you know, I I'm, I'm, would not have ever thought of him, but now that you say that, it makes complete sense. 
And I and I and I didn't just pick him just because. Okay, he he died at 22 years old, and I think he's kind of a founder of rock and roll. No, I picked him because there's so many of those songs that I love. I mean, I truly, truly love so many of those Buddy Holly songs. And you know, you think about when he was putting out that music. You know, he he died in '59. 59. He was only 22 years old. Let's use the same stuff we were talking about, Hendrix. You know, let's go to 1979. The guy's 42 years old. Right. Yeah. You know, so what would he have done? I mean, and, and I mean, he's almost more than anybody on either one of our lists. That's a guy that's like, wow, he really would have taken the big jump from the very foundation of rock and roll. And going forward, yeah. I mean, he, he, would, have, he would have been huge. And he was, he was a great musician, too. I mean, it wasn't just the fact that he put out some music that was unique, that he, he was a really good musician. And just such such an influence on so many great artists. Yeah, I mean, up there with Elvis. Um, especially yeah. people that came of age in the 60s and early 70s playing guitar and, and, and writing music. Well, Chris, I have just a few left here. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, my man Steve Clark uh, of Def Leppard. He died when they were getting ready to record the Adrenalize album. And one of the reasons I have him uh, on my list, now Hysteria was a polished album. There, there's no there's no getting around that. But Steve Clark was not a polished player. He was a great player, but he played kind of loose, uh, a lot looser than Phil Collin does, and uh, a lot looser than Vivian Campbell does while he's in Def Leppard. Uh, I've said it numerous times. They're they're one of my favorite bands, but um, the albums just really went down in quality after he left. And then he brought just a a unique sound live. Um, and he was a true rock star in every sense. I mean, he he had his you know the guitar was down around his knees. You know he wore you know wore the scarves, had the long blonde hair, and you know died of rock and roll excess really. But I really think he could have. Uh, that, that Adrenalize album could have been a whole lot better had he been around to play on all of it and uh, to write on it because uh, Phil Clark, I mean, Phil Collin, he's a good guitar player, but I don't think he, he's not in that league. And his stuff just, it's so kind of, I don't know, by the book to some extent, and he does not have the live feel. And I think that was a, a big blow to Phil when Steve died was, now I'm going to be the lead guitarist. It's not something I don't think he was very familiar with, but I think he was, he, he, I need to look it up, but I, he may have been in the 27 club. If he, if he wasn't, he wasn't that far, uh, out of it. But anyway, uh, he was gone, uh, way, way too soon. And definitely in one of the biggest bands of the eighties. They were, and what you—I mean—you nailed it when you're talking about as far as I mean, the look that he had, that that guitar. I mean, they, I don't know if anybody's ever played lower than that, and I don't know how anybody plays that low. Right. But if you can do it, do it because right. it looks super, super cool. Right. I mean, look at the way he plays, and look at Tom Morello. Right. Tom Morello looks like an idiot. Right. You're but right. It's basically on his chest. But Steve Clark, I mean, that was a cool, cool look that he had playing, like you said, down to his knees. Um, I'm going to go, just as we kind of start wrapping this up, I'm going to go with, uh, unfortunately, my third plane crash victim. And um, 
it's crazy when you think about that, right? You know, you don't really hear about a whole lot of plane crashes, but I've got my third person. Right. But um, that's Otis Redding. Another one that surprises people at the age, 26. And that guy, if you listen to his, his music, does not sound 26. No. He, uh, he only recorded four albums. And um, Otis Redding, I've, I've said before, I, I always, I, I, Otis Redding to me, is one of the greatest pure vocalists who ever lived. His voice is absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, again, I, I put him in there. He was at such a young age. He was just starting his career. And I'll go back to what I keep saying about some of these other people in, in the, evolution of mu- the evolution of music. He died in 1967. You know, think about especially in the 70s, all, all the, the soul music that was coming out, you know. Um, not saying he would have gone and made a disco record, but all the way the music kind of changed in the 70s. Right. What would you have got from Otis Redding? Right. You know, I mean, he was, uh, again, I think one of the greatest, greatest vocalists who ever lived. And um, I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have seen more of a, more of a catalog from him. Yeah, and he influenced a wide variety of people. Yeah, wide yeah. variety of people. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I should have put him on my list, but to be honest with you, he just kind of eluded me. My last one that I'm going to go with is probably the least known of uh, anybody I'm going to talk about. It's Eddie Harsh. He was the longtime uh, keyboardist and piano player for the Black Crows, and he died uh, this past year. And uh, he, you know, kind of succumbed to some of the same stuff as as these other people did, but. He was in. Uh, he helped record the uh, the Magpie Salute album, which I've talked about. Had has is, has um, several members from the Black Crows. It's actually ten people in the band, and uh, he was a, a, about I think about ten years or so, maybe older than the Robinson Brothers. But he joined uh, the Crows for the uh, Southern Harmony album, and they all say even before he died that he was the best musician that they'd ever played with. And he, he came up, I think, in Detroit, and he played with all of these blues and soul artists. And so he brought that to the uh, to the band. And by all accounts, just a sweetheart of a human being. But I would love to have him back, because Magpie Salute is about to record a uh, double album of all original material uh, next month. And I'm really looking forward to that album. But Eddie Harsh, man, could he play. And he played with everybody coming up, uh, a lot of a lot of the big Motown and uh, blues people. And then, uh, you know, when he played with Jimmy Page, uh, Jimmy Page had nothing but uh, when the Crows played with him, had nothing but great things to say about how Eddie Harsh handled that Zeppelin catalog. Which, uh, you know, that's that's pretty high praise when you know Jimmy Page because John Paul Jones. Uh, very well respected for what he added to uh, to that band with those parts. But anyway, um, if you if you're wanting to listen to a song, I would go listen to a live version of "Descending" by the Black Crows and listen to the outro on it. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of music uh, I have ever heard. But uh, like I said. Um, not one that a lot of people are going to know, but uh, he really helped create a sound of a band. So, uh, Chris, who do you have left? Uh, well, yeah, just to follow up on you, not everybody really, they may not always know, but it's like like we said, it's not necessarily 
we didn't put this list to say, hey, what, what, it, what, who does everybody else wish was alive? It's right. who we said we wish was, right? You know, and that's what's important, right? Um, I'm gonna just kind of throw through a little rapid fire because I do have a few more. Okay. Um, one is an obvious, uh, just you know, people would say, well, maybe he had a full full career. He's probably he comes closest to a full career probably of anybody I have on my list. But I still think gone too soon, and that's Elvis. You know, 42 years old. You know, he had ups and downs of his career, but I think that, um, you know, I, I think he would have, if he would have been able to, to fight his addictions and all, I think he could have been, I think he could have had a career that if he was able to still be around, which technically he could still be, you know, age-wise. Yeah, I just wonder what he would have done. You know, would he have been on the Vegas, you know, circuit? I, I don't know. It just it would have been cool to see. You know, I mean, this was a guy who I think is. I, I don't think it's debatable the biggest rock star who ever lived. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know where it would have taken him. But um, just a, a few others. Uh, I, I put the, this guy on here again. He was a guy that had a pretty long career, put out a lot of material, so he's kind of my own little rules as far as what makes it. He's kind of bordering on that, but he deserves to be on here. And that's Joey Ramone. I mean, the, and, and the reason why is because Joey Ramone, though he do it to be 49 years old, I don't think he ever really got the credit that he deserved. And Joey Ramone, it was kind of known that I think he was frustrated by the fact that the Ramones really didn't sell a lot of records. And people may be surprised by that because you see a lot of people wearing that that famous Ramones logo, but they buy that just like they're going to go buy, I don't know, a Guinness beer T-shirt. It's just they think it looks cool, but most of these people you see wearing a Ramones shirt probably have heard, I want to be sedated, and that's about it. And I don't think he truly ever got the recognition that he's deserved other than among his peers, you know, which there's a lot of them, you know, there, there's been a lot of people that have, you know, that have made songs, you know, written songs for him, you know, such as, you know, my favorite band, Social Distortion, you know, Frank Black of the Pixies. There's been a lot of guys that have done stuff. I, I mean, you too has a song called The Miracle of Joey Ramone. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. And I actually just heard them talking about Joey Ramone just the other day on Howard Stern. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he's a legend that I just again I don't I don't think he really got the credit, and that probably again that sounds surprising to a lot of people because it's the Ramones. Everybody knows the Ramones, but people didn't really listen to their music. People didn't buy their music, and he was such an influence. And I think they're and they're not just him, just the Ramones in general. One of the more influential bands. I remember on the Dan Patrick show one time. That uh, and David, I don't know if you ever listened to the David or to Dan Patrick show, but but one time they were talking music, and Seton, who's a big music fan and kind of more of a uh, punk guy, said that um, the Ramones were more influential than Zeppelin, and Dan Patrick thought he was crazy. Well, they had Darius Rucker from Hootie on the show, who was a, just a sports fanatic, and Dan, just knowing he was going to get Hootie on his side, said, "Who who was more influential, Zeppelin or the Ramones?" And without even hesitation. Darius Rucker went the Ramones. Interesting, you know, and and I, and I don't. It, it seems kind of odd to, to say that, but I, I don't. I think that's probably the right answer because as as, as great as Zeppelin is, and I love Zeppelin, 
that kind of foundation had been there, and they may have kind of elevated a little bit, but what the Ramones did really wasn't done before the Ramones. And think about all the guys that played in punk in the years that came after. I mean, that that's why I think Darius Rucker, without even hesitation, said, well, the Ramones. So anyway, that's why I have him on the list. I, I, you know, it's a guy that I wish was around just because he didn't get the credit. Um, Jerry Ramone, did pass from cancer. Um, a couple others I'll flop through these. No, I didn't have Joey Ramone still, but Michael Hutchins of NXS. You know, he was only 37. Uh, great band. Um, Johnny Thunders, um, New York Dolls. I uh, think the guy had a lot of music left in him, and this guy is, when we talk about all the all the guys with addictions that we've talked about, I don't know if there's any that had him worse than Johnny Thunders. I mean, just a notoriously addicted guy. Um just really sad story. Let's see what else I have. I'm just flipping through these sheets. Just bear with me. I did put this together. Um, let's see. I, I got to go with Bon Scott, ACDC. We're, we're, you know, we're reading the book about, I'm reading the book about Bon Scott and his last days. I, um, like most rock fans, I do like ACDC, but to me, the Brian Johnson material pales in comparison. So it's a, it's another guy. I can common common trend here um addiction and then the last one i'm gonna go with is uh adam yow aka mca of the beastie boys um guy was 47 and beastie boys only put out eight albums over a 26 year period you know one of those was instrumental so uh, they really didn't put out a whole lot of material and this is another guy that like joey ramone the uh, awful awful disease of cancer took him too soon and uh I would have loved to have uh, another of uh, another couple of Beastie Boys records in my catalog. So that's it for me. I'd have to say I agree with you in all of those. And going back to Joey Ramone, I feel like as time goes on, he's being more and more appreciated. So uh, I'm glad you said that, and I think so too. And I think he would really be happy to see yeah. that. I think he's I think he's getting more attention probably than than he ever has. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. We hope you have enjoyed it. Um, if you, there's somebody you think we missed, send us a message on Facebook or on Twitter, and uh, we'll respond to it. Uh, we will be back next week with our best of 2017 um, uh, edition. And as usual, there will probably be a little overlap between me and Chris. So uh, you'll probably get a, a broad array of albums. Do want to thank everybody for listening. We hope you have a good week, and we will talk to you next week.